We are starting this morning a new series that we're going to be going through this week and the next three weeks. And we're going to be exploring this series, and you can see it behind me, it's called I Will Build My Church. Stephen said earlier on as we were building this um, robotic-looking thing, as we were doing that, Steve, some of the words that Stephen said were, Jesus started the church how he wanted it, and now he wants the church how he started it. Those are powerful words. Can we get the band back up? No, I'm kidding. Um, those are powerful words, and I believe it's true. I believe it's true that Jesus wants us to look at how he started the church and then to think, okay, if that's how he started it, that's how he wants it. And part of that is looking at the way that the early church behaved, this, this thing full of uh, the Holy Spirit and full of prayer and full of gathering together and a sense of awe and wonder and sharing with others and telling others and a passionate commitment to prayer and, and, and baptism and all of these things that are true in the early church. That is part of the blueprint of how God wants the church. But there's another passage that we are going to be looking at and really exploring over the next few weeks. And it's found in a letter in the New Testament, a letter to the Ephesian church. And it's Ephesians chapter 4 and the first 16 verses is what we're going to be staying in over the next few weeks. And Ephesians has become known as, that, as the letter in the New Testament that is all about the church, written to a church, about what the church is meant to be like, about what, meant, what our foundation is, how we're meant to be. So it's a good thing to spend a bit of time with these verses in uh, Ephesians chapter 4. And what we're going to find is not just things about what we are to do. The things that make up this, this body are about the things that we are meant to do. Things that are important about our practices and the ways that we behave and the things that we get up to. What we're going to look at and find about in these verses is something of who we are the kinds of people we're meant to be, but also the kind of body, the kind of group, the kind of family, the kind of organization we are meant to be. Andy, I think there's a little bit of an echoey type thing. Fantastic. You're working on it. So let's look at these first. Uh, I'm going to start by reading the first six verses. And particularly as I read, see how many times you're going along you can count things that are to do with the unity of the church. So, as a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. I don't know how many you counted. I counted the word one seven times in that. But even before we come to that list of things that, that are one between us, one baptism, one Lord, one faith, all of those different things, before that we are, we are encouraged, these Ephesian believers and us by extension are encouraged to live in a united way, in a cohesive way. Why do we need to be humble and gentle? Well, if I'm not humble, if I'm proud, then I think I'm better than you, or if you're proud, you think you're better than me, and immediately we've got a barrier. 
But if we are humble with one another, if we're gentle instead of being aggressive with one another, then we can stay close. We can be united. We can be one. We're told to bear with one another. We're told to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit. So the Spirit has given us unity, and we, our job is to keep it. Our job isn't to find common ground and then stand on that. Our job is to receive the unity that God has already given us and then to stand on that. We don't need to find common ground. I don't need to say, okay, right, let's go through. Uh, where were you born? Okay, no, you weren't born in Basingstoke. I was. That's not common ground. Uh, what, what, what subjects did you study at school? Or, or what, what have you done in your life? Oh, no, we can't find anything in common. That's not what we need to do. We've been given unity. We've been given oneness as the church. Our job is to guard that and to keep that. But what is that unity? Where does it come from? Well, that's where Paul then goes on to tell us what that unity looks like. And he gives these seven things, these seven things that are one between believers, all of which are based in Christ. They're based in Jesus. There is one body. The church is the body of Christ and one spirit as Christ sent the spirit on his people at Pentecost. Just as you were called to one hope, that hope that comes from the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. One faith in Jesus, one baptism into the name of Father, Son, and Spirit given us by Jesus. One God revealed through Jesus, the Father revealing himself through Jesus. Our unity comes from Jesus. He is what it is all based on. Jesus started the church how he wanted it. He started it in his name. That's the name that we stand in. There are so many things that we could let divide us. So many differences we could choose to focus on. I prefer this style of worship. You prefer that style of worship. I prefer sermons to be this long. You prefer sermons to be this long. I, I like people when they've got short hair. You like people when they've got long hair. I vote this way, you vote that way. We have different perspectives, different personalities, different, we live on different sides of the village, divided by the A413. All of these things that we could allow to divide us. All of these things that we could say, that's going to become the most important thing, and we will divide over it. Or we can choose to focus on what unites us. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit with the bond of peace. That's where we start. We start with the fact that the church is one. The church is one. That's the starting point. That's the building block. There, there need not be anything that divide us. But I'm going to introduce you to a little equation. Um, and uh, those of you who like uh, maths might enjoy the fact that I'm presenting this as an equation. But at the same time, you might hate it because it's an equation that makes no mathematical sense whatsoever. Uh, sorry in advance. One plus five equals growth. Bear with. We've looked at the one. The one is who we are. The one is the fact that we are one body. We are united. We've been given that. The things that I've been speaking about. We are one. But how do we go from being one in order towards growth? This series is called I Will Build My Church. It's a promise that Jesus made. And building something is about growing it, growing it in terms of strength and in terms of depth, but also growing it as in expanding it. 
Jesus is going to do both of those things. So, so how do we get from the oneness that we've been given to growth? Well, we add five. There we go. Can the band come back? No, I'm kidding again. Why do I say that? Well, as we carry on reading, what we're going to see is that, G- is that um, Paul talks about this one body, this one community that, that Jesus has called together. And then what it is that Jesus gives us in order to lead us on to growth. So as we carry on reading in verse 7, uh, this is what we hear. Sorry, I should say the series is called, I forgot to click through. I will build my church as the series. Today, we think about the fact that Jesus gifts his church. And that's what we're coming on to now. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. And then a bit in brackets. What does he ascended mean? Except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions. He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, and we'll carry on that sentence in a moment, but I want to pause there for just a minute. How do we get from the one body that Jesus has created into a place where we are growing and maturing and deepening and strengthening and expanding? Well, we're told how. We're told that Jesus, by his grace, that Christ apportions grace to us, and that looks like gifts. And there's this little quotation, it's found from Psalm 68, which is this image of this one who will be ascended on high, victorious and reigning, who will have defeated enemies, taken captives, defeated everything that's, that's against us. This is a picture of Jesus in his death and resurrection, defeating every enemy we might have, sin and death and the devil, taking them captive that they may no longer rule and reign over us, and giving gifts to his people. Gifts is the way that Jesus, the ascended son of God, will continue his work through the gifts given to his people. He's won the victory and then he distributes gifts to continue that movement forwards. Then there's this little bit in brackets. I love things in brackets because they get technical. It's this thing about ascending and descending. Jesus, before he ascended to heaven, he descended from heaven. That's Christmas, isn't it? That's what we remember when Jesus was born, that the Son of God became one of us, that he descended to be like us, and now he has ascended. And at the point that he ascended, we're told the reason for that. We're told that it was in order, verse 10, to fill the whole universe. The reason Jesus went The reason that he ascended instead of staying in human form amongst us is that he might fill the whole universe. How does that work? Well, when he was a human, well, he still is, but when he was a human living on earth in that physical limited form, at that point, he was limited. He was constrained to being in one place at one time with one set of people at once. He ascends, he sends his spirit, and he's everywhere. He's everywhere through his spirit. He's everywhere through his people sent into every nook and cranny of the world so that the gospel and the good news of Jesus would spread everywhere, that he might fill the whole universe. And how does that happen? Well, we carry on. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. 
This is how the universe gets filled with Jesus. He gives these gifts, and these five specific gifts are called out and mentioned as the, as the building blocks on which the growth of the church will happen. This is where we get the five in our equation. There are five key functions. One, body, plus five functions and directions of movement equals the growth of the church. Because as we carry on reading, carry on that sentence and then follow it through, we hear more about the growth of the church. Starting at verse 12, so we've, we've had that Christ himself gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, and then we carry on that sentence, to equip his people for works of service, so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. See the growth language in it? Maturity, attaining the full measure being built up. Then, as we carry on, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So much growth language, because growth is healthy. Growth in maturity, growth in fullness, growth in God. These are all phrases found in that. Growth in the ability to stand against things that would derail us. We're not meant to be like infants anymore. The implication is we're meant to be, we're meant to be adults. We're meant to be growing up. We're constantly growing and developing and strengthening. That's Christ's goal and aim for the church, that we would be built up, that we would grow, that we would expand, that we would get healthier, that we would get more mature. But in order for that to happen, we need to do it Jesus' way. And we've been told what Jesus' way is, because he said that he wants to give, that he has given those five gifts, those five functions. And in fact, if you, you can sort of condense this down a little bit to just a couple of sentences, right? Or one sentence spread across two verses in the middle of this passage. So Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the, so that the body of Christ may be built up. One church functioning in these five different but important ways, complementary ways, that is what leads to the growth and the extension of the church and the kingdom of God. Jesus has promised he's going to do it. He's also told us how he wants to do it. So I want to briefly explore what those five functions are all about. And um, the next bit, in some ways, it could be a little bit technical. Uh, I'll try not to make it too boring. But it's important that we hold on to these things. It's important that we understand what are these five different ways that Jesus has given to the church? What are these gifts and how are they meant to work? So I'm just going to go through and explain them and then, and then think a little bit about what that might mean and how it is that we can uh, hold on to and grow in them more and more. And to do that, I'm going to use a little diagram. This is something I think of the blueprint of how God wants his church to work. We're going to look at these five different functions. This circle is the church. 
This is the body of Christ. This is that one body that Jesus has already made, that united group that he's already created. This is the one. Then we're going to see the five. And each of these has arrows on. And the arrows are about, about what, what is happening, what the effect is of each of these different types of ministry that the church is called to. So we've got the shepherd or the pastor. I use shepherd instead of pastor. It's a slightly more accurate translation because it means shepherd, someone who herds sheep. But also, if you have prophet, then if you're trying to do it as an acronym, you've got prophet and pastor, and they both begin with P, and then you get confused which one you're talking about. So I use shepherd. So we've got shepherd. The shepherd's role, the impact of the shepherd is about drawing people together, making community strong, keeping relationships good, ensuring that the people are united, ensuring that the people are cared for, that anything that might attack, that anything that might uh, threaten them is kept at bay. That's what a shepherd does, leads the people forwards, but leads the people forwards together, safe and protected. That's what a shepherd does. That's what a pastor does with the church. Then we've got the teacher. The teacher is the one, uh, this function, this teaching function is about making sure that the church remains true, making sure that the church stays solid, grounded, rooted, kept in place in doctrine, in truth, in what God has revealed in a world that is changing rapidly around us. New ideas and new ideologies and and new new things left, right and centre. What keeps us true? What keeps us uh, heading in the right direction? God's word revealed to us in scripture. We need that. Absolutely vital. Without that, we end up like those infants who had blown around, tossed back and forward, left, right and center. That's, that's why the church needs that teaching function. It needs Jesus to teach us through his word. The reason I've gone for those two first, even though they're the last ones in the, in the list that Paul gives, is that often in the Western church, this can become the focus. The way that we train our leaders is primarily around biblical studies and around preaching and around teaching and around caring for a community of God's people, guiding and pastoring, shepherding them. And those are vital, vital things, but it's not the full picture. And if we want the full maturity and growth that this passage then goes on to speak about, we need all of Christ's work, not just two-fifths of it, not just part of it. There are some parts which in other parts of the world, in the non-Western church, there are things that are assumed as standard, which we would look at and think, that's a bit strange, or maybe that's good, but it's for a a charity or for a non-church organization to focus on. Christ gave all of this. We need to take hold of all of it. So what are the others? What are the others going on? We've got the, the, the apostle. The apostolic function of the church. The word apostle just means someone who is sent. This is is the, the, the church being sent into the world. Being sent from one generation to the next. Being sent from one place to the next. Guarding the purity of the truth of what Jesus has given us. Guarding the purity of the gospel. Not changing it because the world is changing. But changing the way that we present it, changing models and methods and doing things in new ways, breaking new ground. It's the spiritual entrepreneur. That's what the apostle is. Someone who is able to say, the gospel hasn't changed, the world has, and so we need to communicate in new ways. We need to structure ourselves in new ways. We need to do things in different ways. 
Um, I was talking with someone a couple of weeks ago about the fact that I'm moving on from this church um, as, uh, in, the, in, the, in the coming months um, and the fact that my role is coming to an end. And they said to me, I'm sad about that. I'm going to miss you. But I like change and change is a good thing because it makes us do things in new ways. Amen to that. That was an apostolic comment. That was an apostle's voice saying, you know what, we can't just stay the same. We need to move forward. And that will mean change. That will mean doing things in new and in different ways. That's what the apostle does. That's, what, that, that, that's how we're led forward into mission, into the world. Then we've got the prophetic voice, this prophetic function, which is about opening and tuning our ears to what God is wanting to reveal now and sharing and responding to that. This isn't just about pictures and words and dreams and visions. This is about justice. This is about ethics. This is about repentance and purity and holiness. The prophetic voice and ministry is often an uncomfortable one. I'm not sure I'd want to be friends with many of the Old Testament prophets. They were quite weird and the messages they had to say were quite difficult to hear. But they need to be heard. The church needs to be passionately pursuing justice where there is injustice in the world. Not to get swept up in different ideologies in the, the, that the world is throwing around, but instead to say, this is what God says about these things. And this is what the church needs to stay true to. The prophet voice will call us back to repentance when we've wandered away. It's an uncomfortable thing, but it's a necessary thing. Take that away. And we're just going about our own business by ourselves. Yes, we're rooted in the truth of God's word, which is eternal, but we're not listening to the now voice of God. Speaking to us now, for the situation we're in now. Then the final uh, thing, the final set of arrows to add is the evangelist. The evangelist who is all about the effect of the evangelist. I was talking to someone between the services who says, surely the evangelist arrows should be pointing out of this circle. Well, yes, because we go out. We go into the world rather than just saying, come to us. Absolutely. But the effect of the evangelist, the effect of us being evangelistic, is that more people will come to know and be part of that one body, that one community. These are heralds of the good news. This is all about, all about being, uh, drawing people to come to know Jesus, allowing that, the church to be built in that way. All of these voices build and grow the church in different ways, but they are all vital. Maybe you want to take a moment and just imagine one of those, it could be any of them, removed. One of those sets of arrows just gone from the diagram. Can you still call it maturity? At the best, we might be able to call it lopsided maturity. There's a, there's a phrase in, 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 in um, people who think about this stuff a lot and write books all about, about this fivefold ministry, where they talk about precocious development. I don't know if you've ever been described as precocious. It won't be a surprise to you to know that I have. And when someone is precocious, it means that they're, that they're constantly sort of um, yapping away and sort of pointing out this or correcting that. Or, and, and, and precocious development is when one of these things is, is really strong and the rest just isn't. It's not healthy, it's lopsided, it's imbalanced. Christ gave all of this so that we can have maturity. If we pick and choose and just say, well, prophetic stuff makes me uncomfortable... I love sharing Jesus with my friends, so I'm all for the evangelism. 
And I'm all for inviting them into a strong community. But I find Bible study really difficult. And I don't really want to ever change the way we do things because I'm comfortable with it. Then you're an evangelistic shepherd. And that's great. You are a contribution. You are a blessing to the church. But you are not the whole of what this church needs. And so others need to fill those gaps. One of the messages that was sent to the, to the elders during the staff restructure period earlier this year uh, was, was about me. And it was someone who in prayer had thought that God was leading me on and uh, that the church needed to release them. And it was a really real blessing to us to see that message. And to, it was a confirmation for Natalie and I. And one of the things in it that it said was um, about what sort of future ministry might look like for me. And it said, we recognize that Dave is not a particularly pastoral pastor, but he's got a pastoral wife. And they are right in both halves of that sentence. My primary gifting and calling is not as a shepherd. It's not in a pastoral ministry. It's not that I'm mean and horrible to people. But, but the things that get me out of bed, the things that really make me tick, lie in other areas of this diagram. We need one another. We are not all to be the same. When we are all the same, then we are going to neglect important parts of the ministry of Christ. And why does that matter? Because this is Jesus' plan for the growth and maturity of the church. I am not the complete picture. Stephen is not the complete picture. We together are the people that God has called to this place, to this community. And we together, you together, need to harness all of what God has given. It might be that you have a, have a voice or a, or, a, or a ministry or something that, that you're passionate about, but which you don't feel gets a lot of airtime in this church. It might be that actually there's something lacking in us that you need to contribute. See, this isn't just about having five experts who do everything. See, the, uh, the, 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 verse that I, the, verse, the verses that I quoted before in the very mid, uh, middle of this passage say this, so Christ gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And then there's that long description of what being built up means and looks like to equip his people for works of service. This is not about, well, let's assemble the, let's assemble the A-team where we've got five experts who can do the five important things for us. No. The evangelist, the true evangelist, will, yes, be leading people to Jesus, but they'll also be training the rest of us in how to do that as well. The true teacher will not just be saying, come back next Sunday so I can tell you a bit more of what God says. The true teacher will be saying, let me show you how to open the Bible for yourself. Let me model something that you can then seek God's word for yourself. The true prophet will not just come down from the mountain and say, thus saith the Lord. The true prophet will be opening your ears and my ears to the way that Jesus is speaking. The true pastor will not say, there's a need, let me run to it. They will shape a community of care, of compassion, of togetherness. And I can't remember which one I've left out. Apostle, the true apostle, will not just say, let me come up with new ideas. Let me break new ground. Let me always be at the front of everything. The apostle will say, how can we 
guard the purity of the gospel? How can we come together in order to reach the generation ahead of us that that the gospel may still be known in Chalfont St. Peter in 20 years, in 30 years, in 50 years, in 100 years? But it's a we, not an I. It's an us, not a me. Going back to this just for a moment, you may be wondering, I'm sure no one is, why I chose the colors that I chose. The answer is I didn't. Giant did. Giant is an organization that provides coaching for charities and churches, yes. It's a Christian organization, but also for businesses, for companies, for executive boards. And they have taken these, this concept and said, well, if this is true for the church because it's true of Christ and Christ has given us these five things, then it's because the world needs these five things And it's because in us as people, there are these different things, then maybe that has applications outside of the church as well. This series that we're exploring is going to be focusing on the church. But giants have developed this thing called the five voices system. And it's recognizing that if you are a manager of a team, then there are going to be people on your team who function in these different ways. Some of them are going to be always wanting to break new ground. Some of them are always going to be wanting to um, guard and protect what's already there. There's going to be these different roles and these different voices, and they've, they've, they've taken this, and they've, they've, they've created different language around it. But if you are in that kind of environment, if you're in a corporate environment, if you're in a business environment, if you work with people in any way, they've got some really insightful things to help you figure out what your shape is, but also to help you figure out what the shape of those that you work with is, how you can help communicate to a team. And so they've got these different symbols and words attached to it. And I just nicked their coloring. I don't know why they chose those colors. I'm sorry, I can't help you with that bit. That was more of an aside than anything. But what I wanted to leave you with is two encouragements. The first encouragement is for you to look at this. Take a picture of it if you want. I've seen a few people snap some shots. I didn't come up with this diagram. I nicked it from somewhere else. And think, what am I? Who am I? What am I like? What shape have I got? What what drives me? Think about where your sort of strengths are in this. What contribution it is. Because we read that to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. To each one of us. Not just leaders and elders or life group leaders or pastors or preachers to each one of us grace has been apportioned and gifts have been given and then these 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 are listed what contribution is it that you have to play i don't just mean what rota will you sign up to it's an important question but i mean what's your function what's what's the voice you've got what what's the niggle that you can be what's the what's the what's the irritation in our church that you can be to help us grow what's the part that you can play but then can i also encourage you particularly if you are members of this church and if you're a member of a different church then think about it for there and if you're not a member of any church then think about it in other contexts that you're in whether that's work or family are there things about your church your family your organization that you think This is what we're like. This is where we are developed and strong. This is where we are pursuing maturity. But also think about if there are areas where where you're not. There are areas where actually we go, okay, so one, 
plus five equals growth, but actually at the minute, I feel like maybe, yeah, we're one family, but we're really only pressing into two or three of those. So we can't expect that full growth. What needs to be added or what needs to be reclaimed? What needs to be refound in that five so that that growth can continue? I believe that there are good, good things ahead and in store for this church and for the church in this nation as, as I see a little bit of a reawakening of some of the fullness of what the church is meant to be. As I see a bit of a, of, of a waking up to, some, to ideas like this. My prayer is that that is strong here. And that that maturity and that building up that we read about in these verses will be the legacy of this generation. Not just past generations, but of this generation of Gold Hill Baptist Church. Let me pray. Lord God, I thank you that you have made us one. Thank you that you don't ask us to try to be one, but you say that we are. Help us to hold on to that. And where we need to put things down or lay things aside that are of us, I pray that you'd help us to protect the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And Lord, I ask that you would take that one body that you have called and you would make us mature that you would deepen and strengthen those things that are already present. And there are so many that lead us into that maturity, that lead us into growth, that lead us into more fullness and completeness in you. And I ask that you would strengthen and bolster those areas where we pursue you a little less. that you would give us the wholeness of your ministry, that we might have the wholeness of your maturity. I pray that you would be bubbling up, even now in this room, but across the life of this church family, visions and passions and ideas for how, as a church, as a family, as a body, we can grow into that fullness. Lord, forgive us when we've left it to the few. Help us to claim that truth that it is to each one of us that grace has been given. And the result of that grace is that you gift us. You make us gifts to those who are our brothers and sisters and to those in the world around us. Build us up. Thank you that you promised you would. We hold you to that. We ask you for that. We seek you for that. In Jesus' name. Amen.